this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. Well, the Mueller report is out. It's been out for a few days now, and everyone's been digesting it. 448 pages of some pretty interesting stuff. And I titled this episode of the podcast Total Exoneration, Total Bullshit, because that's exactly what happened. (laughs) Um, Donald Trump was not totally exonerated, despite what you hear from the attorney general, Bill Barr, despite what you hear on Fox News and from Trump's sycophants. Far from it. And we're going to get into that. I'm going to get into some of that, some of my my main takeaways, some of the things that alarmed me the most. And I have an awesome guest. Asha Rangappa is back with me on the podcast. I just adore her. She is so smart and experienced. She, some of you may know if you're regular listeners of the podcast, uh, she's been on before and she was a special agent for the FBI. She specialized in counterintelligence. She's also a lawyer and a professor up at uh, Yale Law School. So she is, and she's written a lot of um, academic pieces on the Mueller report, different aspects of the law and constitutional law, and then also from a counterintelligence perspective. So she is, um, she's with me and we have a really great conversation about the Mueller report, the implications and why it's total bullshit that Donald Trump was exonerated. It's just not true. And we get into that. So stay tuned. She's coming up in a little bit. Um, Easter weekend just happened. I hope everyone had a wonderful Easter. It's also Passover. So happy Passover to all of my Jewish friends out there. Um, Horrible tragedy in Sri Lanka over the weekend. Hundreds of Christians were targeted by terrorist attacks there. Uh, So far, I I think the death toll toll is over 300 and hundreds, like 600 and something people injured. Just terrible, horrible images, Uh, bombs in churches and luxury hotels. And clearly they were targeting Christians worshiping on Easter. So prayers uh, to the people of Sri Lanka. I think they've they've um, no one's taken responsibility yet, but I'm sure by the time this airs, they will. I think they're pointing to a domestic terrorist group within Sri Lanka. So. Um, that's awful, but, uh, I had a great Easter weekend. Um, I'm 43 years old. And if you follow me on Instagram, you saw that we were coloring eggs, my mom and my husband and my stepdad, (laughs) because I don't have kids yet. So we're still big kids. And, um, my mom and my husband and my stepdad, we were coloring eggs and my mom put Easter baskets in the front yard because my parents are visiting. So there were Easter baskets in our front yard tree. It was really cute. My mom does it anytime she's near us. If we're home for Easter, she'll do it. She did it. She would come over in in Jersey because we didn't live that far away from each other when I lived in Jersey and she would put Easter baskets in the tree in our house down on the keys. One year we were there for Easter. We woke up, she put the baskets in the tree, but the sun was so hot. It melted all the chocolate. (laughs) So we kind of had liquid chocolate in our baskets, but it doesn't matter. My mom's awesome. We always have fun. So 
Um, that was cool. And, uh, I posted some pictures. Uh, I guess I should do it on publicly. I put it on my private Facebook, but I was, as you guys may know, I was in Israel a couple months ago and I had a chance to go to some of the holiest sites there in Jerusalem, including the, um, Holy Sepulcher church where Jesus was, um, the location where Jesus was supposedly crucified and the the slab of stone where his dead body was laid, the tomb that he rose from was all there. And it was just so, it, it was breathtaking, breathtaking, especially for me as a Christian. It was really amazing. So I reposted some of those photographs that I, it's just, I still, I'm blown away that I had the opportunity to do that. So pretty cool stuff. Anyway, so that's that. Um, back to, oh, well, this weekend is the White House Correspondents Dinner, which is pr- pretty much meh now. Nobody cares. The president's killed this too. He ruined it. It used to be a really fun experience. It's kind of when Hollywood met DC. We would look forward to it every year. And um, the last couple of years since Trump came around, he's killed it because no celebrities want to come now. And the comedians have been eh, hit or miss. And now the White House Correspondents Association has decided we're not doing this anymore. So there's no entertainment. And I mean, there's still some parties and it's all it's still a good time to kind of for people in the political media businesses to get together and party. Some purists think that that shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be rubbing elbows like that, but whatever, um, at this point. So I'll be looking forward to some of those, some of the festivities, um, surrounding that this weekend. It's getting warmer in DC now. The weather's nice. Finally, it was so cold. Anyway, so Mueller report, let's talk about this. So a lot of people have been asking me, they've been like, we want to hear what you have to say. And uh, I was on CNN on Saturday on the Michael Smirkana show where I talked a little bit about my perspective on this and what I thought people need to pay attention to because there was just so much, so much in this report. I still haven't read all of it. I've read many sections, but I still have probably, I don't know, a quarter to go still. But everything that I've read has been horrifying, horrifying. Do not be fooled by these people who think that everything's honky-dory. And frankly, the president is acting like a crazy person, rage-tweeting again, even after they took victory laps claiming, oh, I'm, I'm completely exonerated. Are you? Because you're sure as hell not acting like it. Well, if you actually read the report, you would understand why. It is a pretty robust picture of a chaotic, lying, angered, uh, incompetent White House. And it's a pretty alarming picture to anyone who's looking at this going, holy shit, this is what we do know. This is what we know. Imagine what we don't know. And it and and Mueller peels peels back many layers and he interviewed dozens of people on the inside. Do not be fooled by Trump now claiming that, oh well, the people they interviewed, they weren't even close to me. And now I you know, I don't know who, who's Don McGahn? That's the White House counsel. And let me tell you something right now. Don McGahn saved Trump's ass. He is one of the senior staffers 
who, well, he spent 30 hours with the uh, special counsel, so he was spilling his guts. But that's because Don McGahn, for the most part, is a good guy. And he took the job as White House counsel, I'm pretty sure, because they needed an adult in the room. And he also wanted to influence Supreme Court nominees because he's a big federal society guy. So I get it. And he was competent. I've known um, Don McGahn's wife, Shannon. We were Capitol Hill staffers together years ago. Good people. But Don McGahn was put in so many situations trying to protect the president from destroying himself because he asked him to do, in Don McGahn's words and quoted in the Mueller report, crazy shit over and over again, including firing the special counsel. He multiple times Trump tried to do that and try to get McGahn to do it to stop the investigation. Then he tried to get McGahn to lie and say that Trump never asked him to do that. McGahn was like, I'm not doing that because he recognized that that was obstruction of justice, just like firing Mueller would have been obstruction of justice. And he was going to resign. And this is all in the in the report. And he said, you know what? I can't do this. Fuck this. I'm resigning. And he was talked out of it. And then he ended up leaving last year. He just couldn't take it anymore. And I don't blame him. But he was honest. And the Mueller report in volume two was broken up into two volumes. Volume one was about the Russian interference. Volume two was about the obstruction of justice. And in volume two on page 88, the special counsel says that Don McGahn is credible and given his position had no reason to lie. Of course, that's in contrast to Donald Trump, who lies constantly. And it was also interesting that the special counsel report validated a lot of the media reporting. It was it was as much of an it was more of an exoneration for the mainstream media than it was for Donald Trump. I'll tell you that many of the big scoops that the New York Times and the Washington Post and others got were accurate about what the hell was going on inside this White House. So all those cries of fake news, fake news by the president trying to distract people from what was really happening turned out to be true. Mm hmm. But Trump's sycophants on the other side, they don't care. They don't care. They, they listen to their Fox News echo chamber and, and uh, you know, they, they stick their heads in the sand to their own detriment, but and to the detriment of the country, frankly. But some of the some of the takeaways, um, Bill Barr, really like that press conference he gave on Thursday. I was actually on my way to Philadelphia because I had the opportunity. I was invited to speak on a panel about the Mueller report. It was scheduled before we knew when it was going to be released. So it was perfect timing in a way. And um, Michael Smirconish, who is a colleague of mine at CNN, he also has his own series XM radio show on POTUS channel from Monday through Friday, 9 to 12. I listen to him often because he's really fair and intelligent. He also has a CNN show on Saturday mornings at nine. And he's very involved in the Pennsylvania Bar Institute in Philadelphia. So he has the seminar about the Mueller report, what was going on, the investigation. So I was invited to speak on the panel. It was myself um, and a couple of other people. Charlie Dent, former representative Charlie Dent, um, Joe Watkins, um, a couple of other people whose names escaped me. And there was one crazy, batshit crazy Trump supporter, of course, who um, tried to manipulate and, and misstate facts. And of course, I was there to check her. 
her name was Ying Ma. No, that's right. That was her name. And she was trying to make Carter Page a victim, sympathetic figure. And she was just, you know, typical Trump person. And I had to swoop in and check her ass a couple times. And then when I did, you know, fact check her. And then when I did and she couldn't argue me anymore, then she started to try to insult me. And um, I didn't let her get away with that shit either. And so it was a, it was eventful. It was three hours, but it was fun. It was great. And I'm glad that, um, I had a chance to do it and be a part of, you know, analyzing this kind of on the fly. It was very exhilarating, but I had a couple of hours in the car to drive when I was driving up to go through the report. And, um, I listened to the, to Bill Barr's press conference and compared to what the report said, I just couldn't believe how far off just how misrepresentative Bill Barr was. And I talk about this with Asha. We get into this a little bit. How disappointing um, that really is. I think a lot of people had hoped that Bill Barr would be above board and he has demonstrated he's clearly not. He's in the tank for Trump. He protected the president to the point of misleading the American people on what the results of this report say. In volume two, which I said before, it was um, about the obstruction of justice stuff. Now, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't get into the legalese of things. That's why I have Asha on the show. She's coming on to talk about some of the legal aspects of this. But um, it's clear that, well, well, Smirkanish actually made this point as well. This idea that Donald Trump was exonerated from obstruction of justice is absurd on its face because Mueller in the executive summary basically says, look, there's this guidance, this Office of Legislative Counsel guidance from the Department of Justice from decades ago that says the president cannot be indicted. Just a policy, not a law, but it's a policy that people have accepted and follow. And he said the president was never in danger of criminal prosecution because he can't be criminally indicted as a sitting president. But that doesn't mean that the actions that were taking place didn't warrant investigation. So Mueller and his team investigated and he laid out a roadmap and detail of all the shit they found, which was significant. The term significant evidence is seen multiple times throughout volume two in reference to these 10 specific potentially obstructive obstruction of justice incidents. But remember what I just said. Mueller said we were never going to criminally charge him because of this this policy but he also goes in detail and makes a really strong legal case for why the president is not above the law though and how there are other remedies and one of those remedies is well he could be prosecuted when he leaves office because basically he's only immune to this while he's in office. And then the other part is, well, he's not completely immune because we have something called the impeachment process that's up to Congress. And here are the facts on that. And Mueller lays them out. So I encourage people, if you have time, really take, try to read the report. If anything, just read the summaries. The summaries aren't that long. They're like five or six pages or something summary for volume one and volume two that's enough to horrify anybody and it does not fucking exonerate trump the word exoneration shouldn't come out of anybody's mouth just because he couldn't be legally charged because of narrow 
legal definitions on things doesn't mean there wasn't a whole lot of shady shit going on that the American people should not feel is acceptable for the president of the United States or people around him. Period. Period. Um, Don McGahn, <laughs> you just have to read some of the incidents, but I'm telling you, he he saved Trump's ass. And you know who else did? KT McFarland, Jeff Sessions, Rob Porter, um, John Kelly, Reince Priebus. There is, there are scenario after scenario in this, in this, um, report about things Trump asked these people to do that was basically illegal. And they said no and didn't do it. Yeah. That's not exoneration. Shame on you, New York Post who I normally enjoy their front pages. Shame on you guys for putting up a front page, a front page story that says Trump clean. What? Clean? Far from it. He is sullied from soils from head to toe on this report. He's a liar and out of control and tried to obstruct justice. And there's at least multiple times where he did. But like I said, couldn't be charged while he's in office. So, um, one of the funnier parts of it, if you can find some levity, is when he first fought, when Trump first finds out from Jeff Sessions that Mueller has been appointed as special counsel. He's the report says he slumped back in his chair and said, "Oh my God, my presidency is over. I'm fucked." Quote unquote. Yeah, that's not exactly the reaction of an innocent person who has nothing to hide, is it? I don't think so. I mean, nobody wants a an investigation, but still, because we know and we see a lot of what came out. He lied about Stormy Daniels. He lied about Mueller. He lied about, you know, the, the, the Trump Tower meeting initially. He lied about the fact that he didn't have business with Russia during the campaign when he was actively pursuing a Trump Tower deal. He signed a letter of intent and they lied about it. The American people didn't know. I don't know if it would have changed minds, maybe, but they deserve to know, I think, in 2016, that Donald Trump was still actively pursuing business deals in in Russia while he was running for president. People should have known that. They're also trying to blame the Obama administration for the, um, the Russian interference part of this. And there is some validity to that. Asha and I talk about this a little bit, but, um, I, I think they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. I would have liked the Obama administration to have taken a more aggressive aggressive posture against Russia, but I think they worried about the political consequences and nobody thought Trump was going to win. So there is some validity to that, but that does not absolve the Trump campaign from what they did. I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit just for a minute about the Russian in, in interference I, as I was reading this, I was going, oh my God, these people, the Russian intelligence uh, agents through this internet research agency that was set up in St. Petersburg and also the GRU, which is Russian military intelligence. They began this operation in 2014. They sent people over here to do recon and take pictures and feel out the the landscape here, the political landscape to see how they could wreak havoc. By early 2016, 
they saw that Donald Trump was emerging as a front runner and decided to focus their efforts from not just sowing chaos into our system, but to specifically doing it in order to favor Donald Trump over Hillary. And some of the examples that they give of what they did uh, were astonishing. And if you read on page 50 of volume one, 49 and 50, it talks, maybe I should read from it. I don't want to bore people too much with the legalese of this report, but this part really shows you how what what the Russians did is an example. Now, not only there's other parts of, of the report that talk about how they manipulated social media. That was their main way. I mean, they've set up fake groups on Facebook, fake accounts, like 3,800 of them on Twitter. They were retweeting all kinds of stuff and crap and inciting racial animus and, you know, firing up Black Lives Matter and then versus Confederacy people. Like it was crazy the things they were able to do. But there on page 49, there's a section that says additional GRU cyber operations. And on July 27th, 2016, the GRU targeted Hillary Clinton's personal email um, accounts. And you know when that was? That was five hours after Donald Trump said, hey, Russia, if you're listening, go and find Hillary's 30,000 deleted emails. Well, they heard him and they tried to. Yeah. And this was not collusion. Well, collusion, again, is not a legal term. And plus, collusion is a different thing. And so uh, Mueller said, look, we're not applying the standards of collusion because that doesn't exist to us under federal law. But this wasn't conspiracy or coordination. And Asha will explain why not when we talk in a minute. But they said within five hours of Trump's statement, GRU officers targeted for the first time Clinton's personal office. After candidate Trump's remarks, the GRU unit created and sent malicious links targeting 15 accounts at the domain, and that's uh, redacted, including an email account belonging to a Clinton aide. This investigation did not find evidence of earlier GRU attempts to compromise accounts hosted on this personal domain. It is unclear how the GRU was able to identify these email accounts since they were not public. One example. Another direct example is um, intrusions targeting the administration of U.S. elections. They went after actual people who were administrators of the elections. So in various states, they targeted state and local government entities such as State Board of Elections, Secretaries of State and County Governments, as well as individuals who worked for those entities. The GRU also targeted private technology firms responsible for manufacturing and administering election-related software and hardware, such as voter registration software and electronic polling stations. Yeah, the Russians were all up in it, directly. Now, it says the the special counsel did not, for instance, obtain or examine the servers or other relevant items belonging to these victims of the hacking. The office understands that the FBI, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the states have separately investigated that activity. So those are ongoing investigations. But that should scare the hell out of everybody. It says by at least the summer of 2016, this is page 50 of volume one, GRU officers sought to access state and local computer networks by exploiting known software vulnerabilities on websites of state and local governmental entities. 
In one instance, in June of 2016, the GRU compromised the computer network of the Illinois State Board of Elections by exploiting a vulnerability in the State Board of Elections website. The GRU then gained access to a database containing information on millions of registered Illinois voters and extracted data related to thousands of U.S. voters before the malicious activity was identified. Yeah, this is pretty direct interference. And the fact that the president of the United States doesn't acknowledge this and continues to wave it off and give Putin cover like he did in Helsinki, which was a disgrace, should alarm everyone. How come the president hasn't talked at all about this? Why isn't he making a big deal about the fact that these bastards did this and tell them to cut the shit out? He refuses because for some reason he thinks it invalidates his presidency. Well, it doesn't. But your job, number one, is not to stroke your own ego. It's to protect the damn people of the United States. And he's not doing that. He's emboldening these Russian bastards to do this again. I've got news for you. I've got news for you. It says, GRU officers scan state and local websites for vulnerabilities. For example, over a two-day period in July of 2016, GRU officers searched websites for vulnerabilities on more than two dozen states. Two dozen states they targeted. Now, what's also interesting about this is that they targeted, like I said, the software companies, technology, personal um, emails at companies that involve voting technology. That's uh, not okay. And on page 51, it says, in November of 2016, the GRU sent spear phishing emails to cover over 120 email accounts used by Florida County officials responsible for administrating the 2016 election. Now it doesn't say which county in Florida. But it says, we understand the FBI believes that this operation enabled the GRU to gain access to the network of at least one Florida County government. Holy shit. Florida is a pretty important state. Now, there are instances after instances in detail about this, including instances about Paul Manafort and how he basically was selling access to his Russian oligarch buddies. And it gives details about that, how taking the job as the campaign manager would be really good for business, quote unquote, how he was passing off polling data and and election strategy to a guy who was known as a Russian intelligence officer that the FBI had been monitoring for years. Manafort's a bad guy. He's not a good guy. He's not all these things that Trump is trying to make him seem like a sympathetic figure too. No, Paul Manafort is a bad guy and he deserves to go to prison. I mean, one example after the other. And you know who's been silent about this? Republicans. I'm so sick and tired of these damn, these, these cowards in the Republican Party. The only person that came out was really Mitt Romney. And even his remarks, even though he said he was sickened by some of the stuff that went on, he still, still was a pretty tempered uh, statement. But at least he said something. You remember Mitt Romney, who was ridiculed for saying that Russia was our most formidable enemy at the time in 2012. And Barack Obama had a snarky comeback and said, hey, the 80s have called. They want their foreign policy back. Well, guess what? Mitt Romney was right. But the rest of these Republicans, 
where they are silent and I just cannot believe that they're looking at the overall totality of what they see in this report and aren't horrified. I'm telling you right now that if this, if Donald Trump was a Democrat, you would have heard nothing but impeachment, 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 impeachment the entire time from the day that that Mueller report was released. They impeached Bill Clinton for way less, way less you know, there were over 140 contacts with Russians, all kinds of shady Russians. Th- that's not okay. When did this become okay? The American people should not be okay with this. And Republicans damn sure shouldn't be. They are, they are just a disgrace. They're sitting back. You know, I, I just, it's unbelievable. You had Manafort, Don Jr. playing footsie with WikiLeaks. You had um, uh, Michael Caputo. You had um, uh, Don Jr., uh, Roger Stone, Jared Kushner. I, I mean, the list was long of people who were, they, they seem to have zero problem taking information from the Russian government as long as it helped them win. Not okay at all. That's a, that's un-American, in my opinion. So this just opens up the door then for any foreign government that wants to come in and hack and do whatever the hell. And if they want to favor a candidate and hand it over, they're just supposed to be like, oh, this is great. Thank you very much. No, that's not normal opposition research. It's not. And to be honest, in my opinion, what Donald Trump has done is freaking impeachable. It's complicated because impeachment is a political process. But no doubt in my mind are what he, are the things that are documented in this report in, 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 constitute impeachable offenses. And I'm not the only one. You know, there's legal experts that are that are making the case. The problem is po- politically, what do we do? Do Democrats overplay their hand? Is it worth trying to get him? He's not going to be removed because the Senate's controlled by Republicans. But is it worth going through this now when you have an election in 18 months? Let's just get him out through the election process. I don't know, but he needs to pay a price for what he's done. How do we sit back and and just let this go? We can't. So some of the suggestions are you have hearings, bring Mueller up and others and have hearings to kind of flesh this out a little bit more so the American people can understand what's really going on and not through the lens of Donald Trump's insane tweets and just propaganda lies, lies. That's all he knows. Um, Philip Bobbitt, he's a constitutional scholar at Columbia. He was interviewed by Greg Sargent um, over at the Washington Post. And it's um, the title of the article is Trump plausibly committed impeachable offenses. A leading expert explains how. And it's a really good piece. You should read the whole thing. I think I'll post it on the Twitter, my, my Twitter feed. Um, but just to be clear here, Philip Bobbitt says that... Um, he noted that the Constitution reserves impeachment for treason and bribery or other high crimes and misdemeanors and added that we can understand the latter from the following juxtaposition. Quote, we aided immense, were aided immensely by Alexander Hamilton's discussion of these matters in the Federalist Papers. He writes that what treason and bribery have in common in the impeachment context is that they are political crimes. They strike at the functioning and legitimacy uh, at the, of the government itself. They are not common crimes. They are, quote, high crimes. 
So he said in attempting to answer the question, Bob had pointed out both Trump's obstructive efforts and his response to Russian sabotage of our democracy should raise serious concerns. He also said that Mueller depicts an executive branch that is using the levers of the constitutional power in a corrupt way. It's not that a president can't determine who to prosecute or investigate or give advice to members of the executive to shape their testimony or or legislative hearings. It's that he can't do so with the intent to frustrate the investigation of his own culpability. We certainly have ample evidence that suggests this is what he was trying to do. What's more, this obstructive conduct can be directly tied to the other elements of the case against Trump. His response to Russian electoral sabotage. Importantly, Trump did not merely seek to derail the investigation into his campaign's conspiracy with Russia. It's that it was also into his own conduct. Therefore, Trump also sought to derail a full accounting of the Russian attack on our political system, separate and apart from whether his own campaign conspired with it. So that right there should be enough. But he suggests that we need to have hearings first and see what else we can glean so that the American people can be more understanding of what's happening. And then perhaps the idea of impeachment would be more salutable to people. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that with Asha Rangappa, who's going to break it all down for us and, and um, talk about why total exoneration is total bullshit. Well, I'm so thrilled to have friend of the show back with us, Asha Rangappa. You all know her from CNN and from her amazing writings in the New York Times and other places where she brings her expertise as a former special agent for the FBI, focusing on counterintelligence um, to, to the table. And I had to have her back because she wrote a great piece in the New York Times and her commentary on everything that's been going on with the Mueller investigation has just been so on point. So, and people love Asha and I love Asha. So I'm so happy to have you back. You're the only guest I've had on multiple times on the podcast because you're that awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you, Tara. I love being on with you. (laughs) Thank you so much. So I know you're busy up there at Yale. So let's get right to it. Um, The Mueller report. We all waited for this freaking thing for two years. We finally get the unredacted version. What were your initial thoughts when you first finally saw this, independent of the bar summary? But when you finally got a chance to read the Mueller report, what stood out to you the most? I mean, just the sheer volume of it, uh, which, by you know, it's broken into two volumes. Um, just how many leads that they had to follow to get all of that information, um, the number of interviews, you know, just uh, from an investigative point of view, that was just an immense amount of work that went into it. And I think that he and his team should be commended for just being able to produce that um, in, in actually a relatively short period of time. The the other thing that struck me, the first thing I went to was really the legal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I'm a lawyer, so I was really interested in what was, what was his lens for evaluating all of this information, um, both on the collusion side and on the obstruction side. And that was where I realized you know, Attorney General Barr had lied to us, mm-hmm. like outright 
lied. <laughs> I was that was shocking to me because I, you know, I had thought, well, he probably, you know, spun it and and made it look favorable to the president, which is still not great. But he actually misrepresented what you know, even the way that the, the final conclusions are. Um, so that was the second piece. And I think that trying to, you know, clear up some of the misinformation that was out there about the report as a result of that, um, I felt was important. Um, and then the last thing was just, you know, Tara, I don't know how many Russians you meet day to day. I mean, <laughs> zero. Right. Um, <laughs> This campaign was crawling with them. And the the fact that the members of the campaign were at best just completely cavalier about it, not concerned at all, or at worst, welcoming it, um, embracing it, to me was just deeply, deeply disturbing. Well, I agree with that. I um I was horrified about the scope and the willingness of people on the Trump campaign to, as I tweeted, play footsie with these Russians as they were interfering with our election process. I mean, they were there was a full-blown Russian operation that started back in 2014, by the way, uh, for people who didn't read the report. And, and, the, and we had a major presidential campaign that seemed to have no problem with this. Over the weekend, um, Rudy Giuliani was on the Sunday shows. And you have a funny nickname for Rudy. I'll let you say it. Um, and he was on there <laughs> talking about uh, trying to defend Trump and trying to, you know, they're trying to spin the report and make it seem as though we're all crazy. And Rudy Giuliani actually made the comment that it was okay to get this kind type of information from the Russians. That is insane. Explain to people why that's a problem and your nickname for, for Rudy, because it's great. <laughs> okay, so my nickname for Rudy is Fruity G. <laughs> so I kind of imagine him as like a rapper, um, <laughs> you know, who's on some kind of drug or something. But, uh, you know, because that's, that's what it seems like when he's on TV. Um, so what he said was insane, Tara. So, you know, you don't need to look farther than the structure of the Constitution to really see that what he says makes no sense. If you look at the history and the way that the Constitution is worded, particularly when it comes to the presidency, one of the main concerns that the framers of the Constitution had was foreign influence. Mm -hmm. And in particular, I mean, this was a this was a new nation. Uh, they knew that there could be overtures and and attempts made by uh, foreign countries, as as uh, Alexander Hamilton said, to try to gain ascendancy in our councils. Mm -hmm. And so, we have things like the Electoral College, uh, the requirement that the president be a natural born citizen. We have the Emoluments Clause, which prevents the president from receiving gifts or emoluments from, you know, foreign foreign princes and states. And we also have treason as an explicit grounds for removal uh, from office. So there is a worry that is clearly animating this document. 
that we don't want the president to be under any kind of foreign influence. And so if, you know, the framers were obviously not writing in the information age, but I think if they were, um, I think that they would see inviting a foreign, I mean, and that's what it is. It's essentially inviting foreign adversaries to commit crimes against the United States by uh, hacking into political candidates' emails, stealing them, weaponizing them, and offering them back to a particular candidate would not be something that I think they would approve of. Uh, it's just yeah. simply not... Uh, contemplated yeah i don't think they, i don't think they would have been downloading wikileaks with with excitement saying yeah what's what, what's in wikileaks this week <laughs> exactly and i think beyond that tara as you know you know we have explicit laws foreign uh that ban foreign contributions of all kinds and i think what's unfortunate and this is laid out a little bit in the Mueller report is that those laws have not caught up with the full breadth of the information and digital age um you know, I, it it bans contributions uh, of money and of things of value, and I think we're right now really understanding that our currency in this day and age is information. Yep. And right now, there's not a way to actually place a valuation on that, which is what Mueller talks about being a problem when he got to. Uh, that part of his investigation in terms of charging decisions. So, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, that the report's 450 pages, um, and it's it's split up into two volumes. You have volume one and volume two. Volume one really outlines the the Russian interference and with with very alarming detail what the Russians did, how how they manipulated our system using social media, um, the number of contacts. There are over 140 contacts between Russians and Trump campaign associates. Um, Didn't you lose track of all the... Like, I couldn't keep track of all the different names. Oh my so gosh, me either. And the New York Times actually did an amazing chart. They did this graphic where... I saw that. That was really cool. So I, I might post that on the on my um, Twitter page so that people can see it, where mm -hmm. I actually was like, oh, I, there were like a bunch of names I didn't even know. I'm like, who the hell are these people? It was right. insane. The, the incestuous relationship with Trump associates the campaign and these Russians. That's volume one. And then volume two is all is the obstruction part of it, which is also mind blowing. It, it reads like a spy novel. Um, are you team volume one or volume two? Oh, that's a good question. Because <laughs> that's that's been a, it's been a debate on, on, on Twitter. Some people are like, I'm vol team volume one because it scares the hell out of me what the Russians did. Well, Some people are like, well, I'm team volume two because the obstruction of justice part of this is really bad for the presidency of the United States. <sighs> yeah. You know, I think I, I'm I feel like volume two is a bit like legal porn. Right. Um, <laughs> and so I, I like volume two just because yeah. it gets into the constitutional law and, you know, all these theories and stuff like that. And as an academic, I kind of, I've, and I, I've written pieces that I saw where I made legal arguments where, which Mueller was echoing, um, or, you know, that were echoed in Mueller's arguments. So I felt very validated. Sure. So, um, yeah, I think I might be a, a volume 
two person um, at the moment. Well, I was curious to ask you because you have both backgrounds. You know, you have the counterintelligence background and you have the legal background. So I was really curious to see which side you gravitated toward most, um, given the the scope of all of it. You know, it's all troubling as hell. Um, yeah. And one thing I will add there, Tara, because I think it's important for your listeners to know, you know, what Mueller made clear is that he had counterintelligence FBI agents embedded in his team, but and they were sending any counterintel or foreign intel information back to the FBI. But what it looks like is that the, the counterintelligence investigation piece was actually being done still within the FBI. Yes. And that would be top secret and classified. Right. And he makes clear that not all of that is in the in this report. I'm actually and glad so- that you brought that up because um, as I was reading, because I've had to read this in chunks because it's it's overwhelming. And when I was reading the part in volume one where they get into um, some of the specific examples of the ways that the Russians hacked into our election system, they literally hacked into individuals who were election administrators in certain states. They tried mm-hmm. to hack into a Florida County election office. We don't know which one. They get into very specifics of, of specific incidents, but they say, you know, we did not further investigate this because the FBI is handling that. They say that yeah. multiple times. So we there's some question about, you know, well, who was this and when? But those are clearly ongoing investigations. And I'm happy to know that the FBI is, in fact, still investigating that. Yeah. Well, it, it just goes to, you know, um, you mentioned my two backgrounds, counterintelligence and, and being a lawyer. I think that's the piece that I felt was um, not in this report in volume one and that I would really love to know, which is the whole spy story of, you know, how they were doing this, who were they targeting and assessing, who were they recruiting? And I think some of that made it into volume one, yeah. but I just don't think we have the whole background. We may not ever have it because those things are always ongoing um, and it could reveal sensitive methods and sources. But, you know, There's just a bigger, bigger picture there. And I I hope that at the very least, our House and Senate intelligence committees get that briefing. One would hope, uh, obviously, the House is controlled by Democrats, Senate controlled by Republicans. And um, I have no faith whatsoever in the Senate, given the fact that Mueller should absolutely come up to testify to clarify his the, the 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 distance legal distance between him and Bill Barr and their interpretations of what went on. I, I just think the American people need to hear from Robert Mueller and in both forums, the House and the Senate side. And Lindsey Graham said, "No, we're not. You know, Mueller's done his piece. We don't need to hear from him." I, the, the Senate Republicans have just completely abdicated all of their responsibilities. So I'm very disappointed in them. The House is like the you know I hope that they don't over politicize this and they keep it um they keep it to why the american people should care and how this affects us and because i think that gets lost in in the weeds of a lot of this the american people they don't care what they hear and trump knows this and so do his his surrogates no obstruction no collusion that's all they hear but what i say is and i'll ask you to explain this why is the idea of total exoneration total bullshit yeah so what Mueller makes clear very early in the report, and I mean, I think if people only read the first 10 pages, you will still get a lot out of it right. because it really explains how he was approaching this. And so first, 
I think there's three points that people need to know. Number one, what he makes clear is that he was employing a criminal standard. And a criminal standard is, does it meet the elements of the crime that is spelled out in the U.S. federal code? And is there sufficient evidence on each of those elements to be able to secure a conviction? Okay, that's a high bar. That means that in order to charge, they believe they have enough evidence and that they will also win in front of a jury. So there are instances where they find that they don't have, where he didn't believe that they had sufficient evidence. And he makes clear to say, not having sufficient evidence does not mean no evidence. If right. we say we have, if, if we don't have any evidence, we will say, state clearly we have no evidence. But, you know, not having sufficient evidence is not that, you know, there wasn't any evidence at all. Um, and so, you know, imagine that you have to fill a bucket to a certain level for it to get to a chargeable point. You know, maybe he, there were many instances where he was able to fill the bucket, um, but there were other times where he might have only been able to fill it halfway or three quarters of the way or a quarter of the way. And I think that that is really important because, you know, it means that there was still something there. And even if you don't charge someone, especially when it comes to the president, we still need to look at what was there because his bar is not just that he's not a criminal. Um, he also uses the term in volume two, the obstruction side. I'll, there are 10 instances that he lays out, that Mueller lays out that were um, potential obstruction of justice areas. And he lays out three parts of like what constitutes obstruction. And I think it was like some people, depending on the legal scholar you talk to, some people say five, some people say eight instances. He basically met the three, what would normally be considered the three thresholds to constitute an obstruction charge. And he uses the term substantial evidence over yes. and over and over again. I made like notations everywhere I saw yeah. that. And I was like, that's not like substantial evidence does not constitute total exoneration to me. Like Bill Barr and these people totally misrepresented this to the American people because they're not going, most people, and I don't blame them, they're not going to go through the 400 page report and see all the areas where it says substantial evidence. <laughs> Right. And and I want to get to the obstruction piece in a second, but absolutely. So what he did there, I just mentioned that crimes have something called elements. So you have to prove each of those elements. So for example, in obstruction, you have to show that there was an act that constituted obstruction. You have to show the person's state of mind. This is often very difficult in, right. in cases because you have to kind of show that they were acting corruptly in the case of obstruction. And so um, you know, so he he spells that out. One thing that he does mention up front, and this is back to volume one, um, he mentions that in many cases, getting evidence was difficult because of a number of reasons, mm -hmm. that sometimes people invoke the Fifth Amendment. Sometimes people lied or gave misleading testimony. Sometimes there were witnesses or documents located abroad, and they weren't able to get to it. So I think those are also considerations to take into account when we look at the sufficiency of the evidence. Um, and I think so that, that wait, just, just before you go on, so for people who are listening, that's to the point where 
when they say, well, there was no collusion, there was no collusion. First of all, collusion is not a legal term. Um, it was supposed to be criminal conspiracy. And even that has a really narrow, specific definition that makes it a high bar criminally. But you're saying that there was that there is also evidence that they couldn't necessarily get for a number of reasons. So just because of lack of evidence doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Right. Right. And he even says, had many of these obstacles not been present, we may have been able to shed more light Mm -hmm. on some of the events described in this report. Um, So absolutely. And uh, with regard to the obstruction, um, I think that there is an important legal point here, Tara. And as you mentioned, he he says that there is substantial evidence for many of these uh, acts of obstruction. Um, and as you said, I think most people say that five to eight uh, could be provable in court. Mm-hmm. So, um, but he doesn't come. He doesn't provide a conclusion on whether the president obstructed justice. He doesn't point the finger. And we were all wondering before the report came out, why didn't he do this? And Bill Barr said he he. I don't even understand what Bill Barr was saying. He kind of insinuated that there wasn't enough evidence. Right. That's right. Um, you know, and that and wasn't true. <laughs> it was completely untrue. And here's what Mueller said. So Mueller says he points to the Department of Justice policy, not that a sitting president will not be indicted. Now, by the way, that is a policy that is not a settled legal question. Correct. It's not that he can't be, but that is just the the current policy of the Department of Justice. And what Mueller says is, I am, as a special counsel, an attorney in the Department of Justice, and I have to accept that policy. What he says is, I cannot, I cannot state, um, I can't point the finger. I cannot say that the president should be charged and make that accusation because it would not be fair. And what he's essentially saying is that when the government points their finger at someone and says, we believe you committed a crime, that person needs to have an opportunity to be heard and to defend themselves. And Mueller says, if if the policy of the Department of Justice is that we're not going to bring formal charges and we're not going to take him into a courtroom, then I would be pointing the finger and putting this accusation and this, this stigma on him without any way for him to clear his name. Now, importantly, he says, I also cannot, I cannot come to the judgment that he did not commit obstruction. (laughs) And he says, so the purpose of this investigation is to collect and preserve evidence for a future proceeding where he may be accused and would also have the opportunity to clear his name. What would those be? Well, one... Mueller points out the president does not have immunity after he leaves office. Mm -hmm. So what he is suggesting there is once the president leaves office, whether it's because he's removed or because he's voted out, then at that point, prosecutors may be able to charge him. Um, And then he can have all the due process rights that a, a normal defendant would have. But he also points out in the report that impeachment proceedings are a quasi judicial proceeding where the House can accuse him, and then he would be entitled to a trial in the Senate. And so he is really saying, I am gathering this information. I can't say that he didn't commit obstruction. I also, because it wouldn't be fair, say that he did. 
but here you go. And I think that he is handing it to Congress and to future prosecutors to make the call. So for the layman, that seems very frustrating because you're like, why the freak didn't he just say it either way? (laughs) You know, I mean, (laughs) it seems like it's a really complicated legal and constitutional exercise that has given the Trump folks the, the opportunity to manipulate it in ways to make it seem as though Trump is fully exonerated. Like the New York Post front page last week said Trump clean. That was an abomination. I usually like the New York Post. They have great front pages usually, but that was just, it it was a microcosm of where we are with how people are manipulating this because Robert Mueller made this into a constitutional exercise, which is fine. You know, that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to be a, a neutral arbiter of what's going on here and presenting these things very letter of the law. But from a political standpoint, it's terribly frustrating because he looks guilty as hell on so many yeah. things where you just want to be like, why couldn't Mueller just say, look, the guy obstructed justice and but because of this policy, we can't prosecute him. So here are the here's the roadmap to impeachment, which I, I mean, does he do you think that Mueller actually kind well, of says that? I mean, the roadmap is there, right? I mean, he so there are a couple of things. Um, so first, let me address the frustration part. I understand. I totally get that for the lay person. That's frustrating. I, as a lawyer, find what he did honorable because what he did was uphold the underpinnings and the philosophy behind the idea of due process. It is true that the president is not above the law, but what he's saying is it's also true that even the president is entitled to due process and all the things that go with it. Um, These go hand in hand. And so we have to make sure that it happens in a process where both sides of that coin exist. Um, The roadmap, Tara, is not just, as you mentioned, walking through step by step, element by element, all the evidence of 10 potential counts of obstruction. Um, He does this thing at the end of volume two where he presents the legal defenses of the president. Basically, he says, here is what the president will argue. And he basically proceeds to tear them down. (laughs) Right. And that is a roadmap for you know, uh, for Congress, really, because the the arguments that he is making are separation of powers arguments. He is making the argument that Congress has the power to hold the president accountable for obstruction of justice and that un, contrary to what the president says, which ironically is exactly what Bill Barr says in his, you know, legal memo that he wrote to them unsolicited a year ago, that the president cannot obstruct justice. That's their position. And what Mueller does is make a very forceful argument for why the president is not above the law. So I think, you know, that can get lost because it's in a lot of legal jargon and citations Mm -hmm. and whatever. But when people get frustrated that he's not charging, remember that he's also uh, equally vehemently on the other side showing why the president is not above the law. And that's, it's important for people to know that because there's so much spin going on by uh, Trump's people since this, since this came out and Trump himself, you know, he's, he's rage tweeting again um, day after day now 
about how he's completely exonerated and that there was no collusion and and um and how he can't possibly be brought up on impeachment because there's there because there was no high crimes or misdemeanors um he tweeted again about that again this morning which is such a um ignorant Un, uninformed view of what the role of impeachment is and what what qualifies as impeachment um that it's just scary but but he's counting on the fact that most americans don't really understand what that impeachment is a political process you don't have to commit actual illegal crimes to be impeached right that's correct that's correct so high crimes and misdemeanors encompasses a much broader swath of behavior than the criminal code. So for example, and, 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 and there's good reason for that, because there are certain things that would really only be a problem if the president does it. Right. Okay. Like, so Congress isn't going to pass a federal law that's going to apply to only one person. Right. Um, so for example, a failure to uphold the oath of office. Let's imagine that uh, the president decided to just go to a Caribbean island and lay on the beach and just decided not to discharge his duties as president anymore, and nobody could get him back. That's not a crime, but I don't think anyone would doubt that you could impeach someone right. for dereliction of duty for failure to actually execute the duties of your office, right? Yep. So, you know, the high crimes and misdemeanors, what, what is impeachable goes much farther than um, what is a crime. And, you know, just to go back to it, I think that we need to remember, you know, Mueller didn't need to sh- include what the president's defense would be, anticipate it and shoot it down. He basically wrote a legal brief for Congress because he had on his team, he had on his team the best legal scholars in the country. These are people who have gone to the top law schools, who have clerked for the Supreme Court. He has made an airtight legal argument for Congress to take this all the way to the Supreme Court if they have to. That's very interesting because I don't think that that's been discussed enough um, in the in the context of what was actually in this report and what it shows and what it demonstrates. I think a lot of the conversation has been around specific incidents or specific wording about, you know, the obstruction parts and some of the more salacious details of Trump being out of control and trying to, you know, uh, angrily shut down the investigation. But I'm glad that you made that point because we keep hearing Trump tweeting about how the Mueller was conflicted and there were 18 angry Democrat Trump haters that wrote a, quote, bullshit report, which is a real tweet, folks. Go check it out if you don't believe me. I thought he, like, two weeks ago, didn't he say that Mueller was honorable and wrote the best report ever? Yes. And so did Kellyanne Conway and all of his propaganda minions. Mueller was the greatest ever. That was after the bar summary came out and it seemed favorable (laughs) to him. Now it's a bunch of bullshit. Everybody's lying. And these are conflicted, angry Trump hater Democrats. So, uh, you know, can you just please say how ridiculous that is? And by the way, in the report, it said it addresses this whole Mueller conflicted Part that Trump was obsessed over from the beginning. And even his own staff said it was, quote, silly, and that those conflicts were exam potential conflicts were examined and deemed meritless. 
Yeah, so the conflicts piece, I think that's um, important. The reason that he was so focused on the conflicts is that the special counsel regulations state that the special counsel can only be terminated for five criteria. And it's like dereliction of duty, incapacity, misconduct, um, there's something else, and then conflict of interest. So basically, every single criteria would never be applicable to Mueller. I mean, can you imagine Mueller like <laughs> incapacitated right. or like dereliction of duty? I mean, none of them would would ever apply to him. So, mis- so conflict of interest was the only one that I think he and I'm guessing his personal lawyers believe that they might be able to make stick, and if they could find a hook. like a a grounds that is actually stated in the regulations on which to dismiss him, then Trump couldn't be accused of trying to obstruct justice again. You see what I'm saying? Because it would be, you know, a a legally justified reason. So that's why I think, I don't know that this was understood at the time. That's why he was hammering that so much at the time. Uh, He's still doing it still doing it it's it's um, it's like i'm blocked him on twitter so i never see his tweets until oh. people like you know <laughs> screenshot them or something i i wish i could but i can't and you know i'm like i just i need to see what this crazy fool is saying all the time just because it's um a, part of a having to stay informed because we have to talk about this all the time but it's know, just but a, you know, it's, it's, it becomes too much you know what i mean and i know i know and he gives me a headache, but no, I'm I get it because this is how I find out that he's still tweeting about conflicts. <laughs> yeah, he is. And then so and Giuliani was running around making the same case, too, because they're trying now to turn this whole thing around because the Mueller report is actually quite da- damning for the president um, and the administration. They're trying to turn this around to investigate the investigators. Um Yes. As a former FBI special agent who conducted these types of investigations, um, uh, just talk a little bit about a how damaging this is to the morale of the FBI and b um, how disingenuous it is for them to try to turn this now into, well, how did this start? We need to investigate the investigators because they're all corrupt and, quote, dirty cops. Well, let's remember that. When they do that, they are denying that Russia attacked our country. I mean, because basically what they're saying is there was absolutely no reason to be looking into this from the get-go. And this is something that Mueller addresses, not not the, but like he gives the predicate for the investigation in the report. And it's footnote 465, if someone wants to look it up. Yep. And basically it's, he lays out the timing and why this would have raised a question for the FBI, specifically that the DNC server was hacked. The intelligence community determines that Russia is behind it. WikiLeaks then releases its first trove. This is early July. Um, and so, you know, the FBI is watching this. They know that Russia is behind the hacks and has somehow gotten this to WikiLeaks and has, has released it. And a week later, they receive a call from Australia, who is, is it says a foreign government, but I think we we have yeah we all know it's Australia. We know that it's Australia, yeah. and Australia is part of the Five Eyes, which right. means that they are one of our tr- most trusted inner circle intelligence partners, who tell them we know that a current member of the Trump campaign was 
you know, bragging or talking about how he was approached by someone offering to provide stolen emails from Hillary Clinton. So you, if you're an investigator, you look at this and say, well, they just released. So he, he was approached by Russia. They just released this last week. Is there some kind of connection here? Is there someone inside the campaign working with Russia to make this happen? Now, I don't think that at that moment they even necessarily thought it was Trump. I mean, that they thought it was connected to Trump. I mean, they would have thought maybe it's this person, George Papadopoulos. Remember, they also knew at that time that Paul Manafort and Carter Page, both of whom had been under FBI investigation already for their connections with Russia, were also in the campaign. I mean, I don't know how you would not look at those facts just as a layperson and not want the FBI to investigate. Well, that's always been the question. Well, if they think that this was started by uh, some kind of corrupt vendetta to stop Trump from becoming president, um, what did they expect people to do? If that, what did they expect them to do with the information that was in front of them, like you just gave examples of? What was the FBI and the counter, um, the, the intelligence community supposed to do with all of this information? Sit on their asses and say, oh, well, you know, we don't want anyone to think that we don't like Donald Trump. So we're just going to let the Russians run around and have all these people having interactions with them doing shady shit. And we're not going to say anything. I mean, that would be a dereliction of duty. That's what that's what the FBI and our counter intel people are supposed to do. Exactly. They never answer that question. Well, what do you expect them to do with this information when they got it? I mean, this is my question. I mean, they know that Russia has, I mean, and remember, like, this is a brazen attempt. I know we talk about Russia's, you know, interfering in our elections. Like, it's just now we just, like, know that. At the time, like, that, like, they were like, what? I mean, to the point where John Brennan went to his counterpart in Russia and said, stand down. Yep. Like, stand down. You know, MF. Like, yes, that's right. In other words, this cut is not the how shit. They made this play, right? And right. so, um, you know, they they were incredibly alarmed that this was, you know, that, that basically that Russia would have the balls to do this. Um, and I think also, in my opinion, being much too timid, precisely because they did not want to be seen as interfering in the election. And I think. You know, it's really weird because, you know, the right kind of talks out of both sides of its mouth. On the one side, they say this is a hoax, but then they are also saying, you know, this was really bad. Obama did a made right. a mistake and wasn't That's strong right. enough. I mean, I actually agree. I think that I think Obama was too timid in this mm-hmm. um, because he was, you know, afraid of, of looking as though he was appear, uh, interfering. And I think that they could have done they could have been much more aggressive much earlier. And I think they would have still ended up in the, like they are being accused of trying to interfere anyway. So trying to tiptoe around it um, didn't really help. And it just gave, I think the Russians more latitude. Well, I'm and- glad that you brought that up because that is an important aspect of this that is now being brought up again. A lot of the Trump supporters are trying to throw this back on the Obama administration, because again, if you actually read the report, it's pretty damning what the Russians were able to do. And um, it does beg the question, well, why the hell didn't our government try to do something about this since they knew back in 2016 this was happening? Um, And there is some culpability on the part of the Obama administration not being aggressive enough. But the but the other side of that is that they were I don't think they thought Trump was going to win. So they figured we're not going to get I'm not saying this is okay, but I think their calculation was right. 
if we open like, up this shit storm, as soon as the election is over, we can then right. Put that that's on correct. Because they're like and do all that stuff, right? Because we're like this guy's such a wild card. If we if we open up this this shit storm of holy, you know, the Russians are interfering. He's gonna run around and say that he he may not accept defeat. This could yeah. cause civil unrest. We they didn't know what to do because he was such a wild card. I mean, so, he was already saying that it was rigged. Right. right? That's right. Yeah. So I'm sure that that was the, I don't know, if, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty confident that those were part of the, that was part of the calculus as to why they decided to kind of take a passive approach. And I don't know, like to use to what you said, I, I don't know if that was the right decision to make, um, given w- the extent of what Russia did. I, I think that's such a good point, Tara, that they were all calculated. They all believed that, you know, Hillary was going to win. I mean, and I think that was also the calculus behind Comey, like making the mm-hmm. comments about Hillary was... You know, she's going to win and we don't want to be seen after the fact as going to light on her. That's right. That's exactly right. As though we were sitting on, you know, this extra information and we didn't let people know. And we're, you know, so it's just everything backfired. In so many ways, Um, which is a good transition into the piece you wrote for The New York Times, which I uh, thoroughly enjoyed. And um, everyone should follow you on Twitter and read what you write, because you always bring such um, um, an intellectual and informed and easy to understand perspective to some complicated issues. And one of the uh, you wrote this on April 19th in the Times, and it's called How Barr and Trump Use a Russian Disinformation Tactic. Um, And I got really excited when I saw this because I've been screaming about this tactic. It's called reflexive control theory. I've been talking about this since the election in 2016, and that was the nerdy foreign policy part of me recognizing Russia's tactics here, especially with the level of propaganda that we saw. And when I started researching this further and I discovered what what reflexive control theory was, I'm like, oh my God, this is so obvious. And you were like the first person to really put it out there in the mainstream talking about that. So explain to people what reflexive control theory is and why you say that collusion is happening in plain sight. Yes. So reflexive control is really a form of psychological manipulation through a presentation of information in a particular way. And, and what, what you do is you feed your opponent or adversary information that includes a set of assumptions to which you will know, you know, they will react in a predictable way. And you're, it's like game theory. You know how they're going to react, and that reaction is then what you are going to use to further your own agenda. And basically, your adversary has then become voluntarily complicit, okay? And the way that this works with the collusion conspiracy debate or confusion, and people just have no idea which way is up anymore, um, and that's partly because I think that this this technique was used. Um, you know, we have this weird unknown provenance of collusion to describe what Mueller was investigating. And, you know, collusion isn't a legal term. Um, it, I, in my piece, I say it's the legal equivalent of jello. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that it has, you know, it has a colloquial definition, which is a secret agreement um, to to achieve some kind of duplicitous outcome. Um, but, you know, in my opinion, it really it's a very broad term. I think it can describe a whole bunch of different kind of behaviors. Um, 
the White House seized on this very early on, and I think you'll remember this, where their refrain over and over and over again was, well, collusion is not a crime. Collusion is not a crime. And the assumption here is, the assumption that we're being fed is, if it's not a crime, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. And our reaction should have been, so what? Even if it's not a crime, if you're encouraging, if you're facilitating, if you're welcoming, that is still a problem. But that's not how people, that's not how we, the public, responded. To the refrain, collusion is not a crime, we responded, okay, but conspiracy is a crime. And let's talk about conspiracy. Well, the problem with conspiracy, and we talked about this, brings us back to the beginning of the podcast, is that it is a very narrowly defined crime. It requires an explicit agreement between two or more people. It requires an overt act. Um, it requires an underlying criminal activity. Um, and it's a pretty high bar, mm-hmm. right? And basically what we see through the Mueller report is he says he did not find evidence of a criminal conspiracy. And what this has allowed the White House to do is say, see, no collusion. And they've done this like little hat trick where they now made conspiracy back into collusion. Right. And he's cleared. And we're all just sitting here like, what just happened? Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Because we're also reading the report and saying, but this has to be something. And again, it's because we gave up that. Th- th- this broader idea of what would be problematic a long time ago because we fell, we took the bait that collusion is not a crime. Basically, anything that's not a crime is fine. And that's exactly what Rudy Giuliani said. That's this right. Week. It came right. And that was an evolution because in the beginning yes. it was, well, there were no contacts with Russians. And then it was, well, if there were, they weren't illegal. And now it's like, well, so what? You know, who wouldn't take information on their opponent from Russians? What? It's, it was a complete evolution from where we were in the beginning because they didn't think that I don't I don't think they thought they would get caught this way or right. that the amount of detail would come out. But it's, you know, as I was reading it, I'm saying to myself, this seems awfully colludy to me. I mean, it's, it very com- I, it's like just the examples of Paul Manafort's behavior, passing along polling data yes. and, and plans for battleground states to a Russian, uh, known Russian intelligence officer, this, this Kalimnik guy. Um, and th- the fact that, you know, uh, Donald Trump Jr. and the Trump Tower meeting, that they were willing to take information, even though it didn't materialize they were willing and eager to take information from the russian government to hurt hillary clinton the wikileaks stuff they were trump was all up in it he was well aware of what was going on with wikileaks and that's outlined in the report people that trump was raising them in public and i love wikileaks now all of a sudden trump says i don't know i don't know anything about wikileaks he gets him selected amnesia it's crazy So so in your so in your piece, you um, you say that reflexive control is a uniquely Russian technique. Um, And I think that's important for people to know this isn't just something that is like a simple propaganda effort. You know, we we deal with propaganda at different levels every day in our lives. I mean, basic ads on television to convince us to buy things is a certain type of propaganda in a certain way. But Mm -hmm. what makes this so um, nefarious and why should people be uh, scared as hell that the Russians have done this successfully, it appears, are continuing to do it. And the fact that the president of the United States hasn't acknowledged it and seemingly is doing nothing to stop it again. Right. And employing some of the same tactics himself. Right. That's right. 
Um, yeah. And I think, you know, the way I end that piece is, you know, this is really a lesson for us. Like we, you know, I think we knew when all this collusion, conspiracy, as soon as you start feeling confused and you're like, wait, I don't know what's happening right now. That is a time to stop center and say, what do I know is true? What, what, what principles do I know are, is true? Like, for example, I know that it's not just enough that the president isn't a criminal for him to be fit for office, right? One would so, think. I would hope. One would hope. <laughs> one would uh, hope. So, you know, and I think that we're starting to go down this road with, with Bill Barr suggesting that the FBI was spying, right? So this is another loaded word. Oh, that's so bad. And, you know, it's like, well, what do you mean they're spying? I mean, they catch spies. Like, you know, people, it's, and you even saw that members of Congress, when he mentioned that in his hearing, were just kind of thrown. Yeah. And, and you're, and you're trying to reorient. And I think, you know, again, just get back to basics. What do we know? We know that there are rules. We know that there are statutes that the FBI needs to follow, that there are internal guidelines, that there are checks and balances. The judicial branch has to approve things that they do. And these are the benchmarks that we are going to use to make, to, to evaluate whether their behavior um, or actions were okay. Um, because those are the things that we agree on. Once we start to depart from that and start using these vague words like spying and there's no real accusation and we're just in this like no man's land, um, that is a red flag in my opinion. And I think we need to start becoming used to recognizing uh, those, those, those red flags. Do you think that Barr has lost all credibility? Yes. I agree. I think he, I think he needs to resign or, you know, be in I mean, I think you cannot have the chief law enforcement officer of the United States uh, being the, the president's personal defense counsel. They're, they're two different jobs. And if that if he wants the latter, then he can step down and, and be the president's lawyer. And that's a good point that um, others have brought up. Uh, I had Mimi Roca on the program a couple weeks ago where she made that exact point. This was before the Mueller report came out, just when the bar summary came out. And a lot of people who experienced prosecutors were like, we're suspicious of this whole thing. He's leaving some things out and we're concerned. And she's made that point. Is he going to be the president's personal attorney or is he going to act on behalf of the people of the United States as the attorney general? And his actions have clearly demonstrated that it was the former, not the latter. And I, I, I just think that's a, that's a dereliction of duty. Trump said that he wanted his own personal Roy Cohn, but that's not the role of the attorney general. The attorney general is not supposed to be there to be the president's defender and protector. But that's clearly what Bill Barr has done to the chagrin of a lot of people who he who he commanded respect from before that are just flabbergasted that he's taken this route. Yes. You also said that undermining the integrity of law enforcement is a double boon for Russia. Um, you said that if we if we don't learn from this sleight of hand by Barr that Putin has certainly won. What do you mean by that? Well, let's remember that the overarching objectives of Russia's active measures, which um, are a part of, uh, you know, these disinformation tactics, that what they're doing is to 
destabilize our society. Uh, part of it is through making us distrust each other and cause divisions that's laid out in Mueller's report. But long term, it's also to erode our faith in our institutions, um, to not believe our elections are fair, to, be- to get cynical about Congress's ability to do anything, to believe the press is fake news, and ultimately, um, with law enforcement, to believe that to not believe in the rule of law. And that one is a huge one because I think uh, Russia understands that the rule of law is such a fundamental pillar of a democracy. And so when you, when you start getting people to question um, law enforcement, judges, uh, prosecutors, call them corrupt, you know, it's one thing if you have a specific instance um, that, you know, you point to, it's not that they should not be held accountable, but when you have these like broad brush, just you can't trust them, they're spying or whatever. Um, it erodes the institution. It's institutional yeah, it damage, right? And what happens is, you know, I think the, the worst thing that can happen is for people to become apathetic and check out because that is when the corruption and the rot starts to enter. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so that is what I think that's what I meant when I said it's a double boon for Russia. And and also because then, um, you know, the more that we distrust our own law enforcement, the more we start putting clamps down on what they can do. And remember, the FBI is the main adversary for Russian intelligence inside the United States. Of they course. would love to see the FBI uh, hamstringed in in their ability to monitor their activities and and stop them. Um, so it's their nemesis. And if they can go after them and, and pin the blame on the FBI instead of on themselves, then they are they are doubly happy. Another reason why the world shuddered when Donald Trump stood next to Putin in Helsinki and said that he believed that Putin wasn't involved in the hacking, wasn't involved in the inter- uh, election inter- interference, that Russia didn't know anything about it. I, it was such a slap in the face to exactly oh what our FBI and everybody else does that it's it. I'm just I can only imagine the collective gasps everywhere in the halls of the FBI and the CIA and DNI and everywhere going, what is this guy serious yeah. when all of our intelligence agencies unequivocally have have come to the conclusion that Russia has been doing this and will continue to do it. Last questions. I know you got to go. You're always so generous with your time. And that's why I just love you, Asha. Um, no should the president be impeached? So I think right now. Mueller has created these findings. He's provided, let's say, he's provided probable cause for there to be impeachment hearings, okay? Um, Remember that the House holds hearings and then it basically acts as a grand jury and determines whether to bring articles of impeachment, um, which is essentially like an indictment. Um, so, and then and then the Senate will hold a trial and decide whether he should be removed if the House takes that step. So I don't see any reason that the House could not, and I believe it has a duty to, to take this probable cause that Mueller has provided and at least begin hearings to determine whether articles of impeachment are warranted. 
I, uh, you know, it's such a hard thing because I remember the Clinton impeachment and what the you know Republicans impeached Clinton on was a fraction of what Donald Trump has done. And it was politically perilous for Republicans. And I just look at it from two ways. Politically, I don't want this to give Donald Trump a foil to run on as a victim and potentially win again. And on the other side of it, I look at the, our institutions and the, the, the abhorrent conduct by the president of the United States. And I say, this cannot stand and there needs to be some accountability. And really, the only accountability is one of two things, either vote him out of office or impeach him. I just don't know if we can sit back and do nothing to punish him immediately for what's been laid out in the in the Mueller report. I'm not quite sure what to do, because all I know is that this cannot he can't get (laughs) reelected. So I'm like, we got to do whatever we got to do so we get this guy out of here. I think um, people just have, you know, too much PTSD from the Clinton impeachment. It's true. Um, It's very different. And I think, you know, hearing the salacious and kind of fairly unrelated to the office of the presidency, you know, like that, that seemed like very political. And I think that, you know, we don't know whether hearings on things that go to the heart of the ability of this president to perform the duties of his office and protect the United States will actually sway people. You know, I don't think we can always use the model from before. Um, It might be that these hearings are exactly what is needed to create the awareness of the public, because guess what, Tara? I think only 10% of the people are going to read this report. Oh, I think it's less. I think you're being generous. I think it's less because people just they're like you said, they have PTSD, they're overwhelmed, they have fatigue over the, all of this, they want to just live their lives. And the summer's coming, people want to like go down the shore and have barbecues with their families. They don't want to face the fact that their president's potentially a crook. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> so. I, think so. I, I think the impact on like I don't I, I think that we can't say it's a fait accompli if they start this, you know, Democrats are toast or, right. or no, I agree. I remember also, by the way, that we have um it's it's his first name is Patrick Weld, right? The former um he was a he wasn't a former AG. The one that wants to primary Trump. Oh, Bill oh, Weld, Bill, former governor Bill, of Massachusetts. Sorry, yes, That's all right. Name's confused. Bill Weld, you know, you never know. Like he could capitalize on that too, and maybe we'll actually have like a better candidate. For, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Bill Weld is not the answer. He's a little quirky and, and like from yesteryear, but I don't know where this is going to be. Personally, as a Republican, I would love to see a Republican, but I don't know who that would be, but I'm on team Biden. So I'm excited for him to announce okay. and I hope that he doesn't mess it up. <laughs> so, okay, great. I hope I think Biden can take him out A Biden Buttigieg ticket. That's what I'm hoping for. I think that could take Trump out. Um, Asha, thank you so much. I so appreciate your time. Um, it's always a great, great uh, opportunity to chat with you and, and put these things in perspective for people to understand. Final thing, what's the one thing, if you had to, one thing to tell people, the average person that's looking at all this going, I just don't understand what's happening. What's the one thing that people should take away from this report and what's going on right now that they should care about? The one thing that people need to take away and care about is that we expect more from our public officials than simply that they don't commit a crime. They're held to a higher standard. And that includes trustworthiness, character, loyalty, uh, an ability and, and demonstrated ability to work 
in the public interest and not their own self-interest. And so I think that if they can adopt that framework with which to absorb the different information that comes in, rather than is it legal or not illegal, we will make a huge stride. Amen, sister. Thanks, Asha. Okay, take care, Kara. <laughs> Have a great day. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara. Again, big thank you to Asha Rangappa. Be sure to follow her on Twitter at Asha Rangappa. She's awesome. And uh, be sure to follow me at Tara Setmayer or at Honestly underscore Tara. Instagram at the Tara Setmayer. Send me your comments and your thoughts and I will try to be as responsive as I can. And um, the saga continues, folks. Stay tuned. See you next week. 